Hello and welcome to It's No Secret. I'm Christine. And I'm Kat. And today on the podcast, we are answering the question of how do I know if my investments are safe? Now, we've been chatting a lot about this recently with Mm. friends, customers in the office, just Mm -hmm. as seems to be a general topic at the moment is safety and security. And, you know, maybe that's because the market feels uncertain. There's a lot of headlines that are suggesting that the world is falling over. So (laughs) we thought what a great opportunity to hone in on what do what does it mean by safety? And by safe, we mean kind of... That was going to be my first yeah. question. I'm like, how are you defining safe? Yes, so we're not <laughs> Talk talking about risk appetites or like whether an investment type is safe as such. We're talking about yep. the company that we invest with. How do we know that they have good processes, that you know, sure. if I invest my money with them, they're not going to fall over, that kind of thing. Sure, There's yeah. Because op- I guess people, you know, some people might think of safety as, yeah, as you've said, is the value of my investment going to go down? Mm. Therefore, how safe is it in terms of the markets and how safe is the amount of money I'm going to get back versus how safe is well, – what is the level of risk or possibility that the company I'm investing with is maybe going to do the wrong thing or is not going to be strong enough to, I don't know, weather financial storms and therefore I yep. need to be worried about their safety? Yes, quite exactly. confusing. Yeah, it is confusing, and I think it is in some ways hard to talk about one with the the other because mm. it is a word that kind of connects so much. Yes, and we will touch on it slightly, but the focus is mainly around like the company or a platform that you're investing in. So, with this in mind, um, mm. we thought that we would debunk a few myths, and that's kind of how we framed it today. Is here's the myth, and we're going to tell you why it's not true. Yeah. So, great. <laughs> let's just jump right in. Perfect. Number one, because a company has been around for longer or a long time, aka let's say 10 years plus, I can trust that my money is safer with that company versus a younger company. Is that true? Do you want my comments? Yes. Perfect. All right. So what you would first need to think about is how is that company regulated, you know, in a New Zealand context, and are there any risks that that company um, could – go bankrupt and therefore be at risk of stealing your money for lack of a better term. Because the underlying assumption here is that if a company has been around longer than say a newer company, it's safer because they're more likely to be successful, right? I guess the the concern is people thinking, oh, you know, that company's only been launched for say two years or three years. They're not a proven business, so to speak. Therefore, I'm concerned about their long-term stability as a business. And I have a concern about them therefore managing my money. Now, back to the regulation piece, not everything in terms of investment opportunities within New Zealand are created equal and not everything is regulated. So that's a really important piece to understand because there are things like, as you would expect, um, transactional accounts at a bank that are very highly regulated because banks have such a fiduciary responsibility to you as their customer to make sure that they're not, you know, mishandling or misappropriating your money, that they're very highly regulated by the authorities, including the FMA, which is the Financial Markets Authority in New Zealand. 
Then there's things like, you know, investment companies, i.e. Colonel or, you know, Milford or AMP, um, ASB, because they have a managed investment scheme license, companies that are providing opportunities for you to invest in funds that they manage. Um, That's also similar to, say, KiwiSaver. So, you know, companies like Colonel, um, like Milford, like Simplicity that are providing opportunities for you to invest in KiwiSaver funds that they manage. Then there's another layer of companies that are providing, say, a platform for you to access investments that they do not manage. Mm. Key distinction here. Key distinction, right? So, you know, there are platforms out there like InvestNow, Hatch, Sharesies, who provide access to other investments that ultimately they don't manage. Um, ASB Trade is an example of that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are also financial companies that have – fringe or slightly alternative investments and ones that you know would fall into this category are things like um cryptocurrencies cryptocurrencies yes so companies that provide again kind of in the platform sense provide access for you to buy and sell cryptocurrencies um companies that also offer things like property syndicates so um the ability to invest in say commercial property syndicates or residential property syndicates um and then also the other one i was thinking of is there's like the mortgage trust kind of ones i've heard them Mm. there's one of them um advertising on the radio at the moment and it's talking (laughs) about how (laughs) They've never lost a a cent of a customer's money um, and Mm. obviously really playing into the whole safety thing. And that's where it's that good distinction of like they're saying that because they're obviously tapping into the risk that people have around the security of their capital, i.e. the money that they're either investing or saving. But then you also need to look into the security and um, regulation around that business and how that business is run. Mm. What about financial advice as well? Because there's a key distinction there. True. As well. Well, I guess the thing with, say, financial advice is then making sure that you understand that if, if you are using a financial advisor, that they are licensed and regulated, again, to provide advice, but they're often not, or they shouldn't be really, um, managing the underlying investment. So they're just advising you to say, hey, you should actually, you know, for your risk profile and your goals, be investing your money into this type of investment. But that investment then is obviously managed and run by someone else. And you'd want to then make sure you understand how that structure works. So back to your initial question. <laughs> If you're looking at a type of investment, so let's just say for the sake of this conversation, a managed fund or a KiwiSaver um, that, you know, you're assessing a younger company. So a company like Simplicity has been around for, I think, about five years. Coro KiwiSaver and Colonel KiwiSaver have been around for less than um, two, three years uh, versus, say, AMP's KiwiSaver fund that's been around for many years, mm. how do you know that one is safer than the other? Well, the good news is, is because of the type of schemes that they are, i.e. they're a KiwiSaver scheme, they're all subject to the same license and regulation through the Financial Markets Authority. So, so it doesn't actually matter. Because they're all regulated in the exact same way. Exactly. They're all regulated in the exact same way. They've all had to go through the same process of applying for a license in order to offer that service in the first instance through the FMA. So they've all been asked the exact same questions to provide the exact same information to make sure their businesses are structured in a similar way to ensure that they have systems, processes, people, capital in place to ensure their longevity as a business in order to offer that structure. Now, that makes sense because Mm. the FMA is not going to license someone that's like wanting to offer a retirement scheme, i.e. a KiwiSaver account, and that business itself has a risk of falling over in two years' time. 
that's the FMA's responsibility to make sure that that's not happening. So as a customer or a potential customer of one of these businesses, you kind of need to have, I guess, a little bit of comfort in that sense Mm -hmm. that the FMA is not willy-nilly like handing out licences to people. Um, There is obviously a lot of cross-checking there. And this is also part of the reason why it's so hard to start a company in the financial services industry, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you could start a platform relatively easily if you're just providing access to other investments. But if you want to, say, open and manage a a fund to then manage and invest other people's money, you can't just do that willy-nilly. You do need to have, (laughs) you know, the checks and balances Mm. and licensing process. And so... As just as an example, um, we went through at Kernel the licensing process in order to launch our investment funds. Um, in order to get the license approved by the FMA, took about nine and a half months. Mm, that's a long so time. it's not a small amount of work, and that was people working on that in a full time capacity in order to get that license through. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. It mm. re- obviously also requires a lot of capital to get started in well, that way exactly. because you need to be able to pay for lawyers and the regulation and or- an auditor and things like that. Exactly. There's a well there's you know a time barrier to entry, there's a monetary barrier to entry. Mm. Um you know the FMA do look at things like making sure that you have a solid balance sheet as a company to ensure that again, you know, you're not going to go bankrupt in a couple of years if you're planning <laughs> to offer a service um or a fund that you know invests for many years. Um, so there's that. Mm. The other thing that I haven't really touched on, but it is also relevant, is under those licenses, there's a number of checks and balances that are required for those companies. Um, and this is things like having a custodian. So ensuring that the money that people are investing on behalf of a customer is in a custodian account rather than on the balance sheet of the individual business. So that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also things like having a trustee or a supervisor. So a supervisor is essentially the eyes and ears of the FMA on a daily basis or a weekly basis, uh, the person that is checking that the fund manager or the KiwiSaver manager is doing what they should be doing on a much more frequent basis than, say, the FMA is having contact with that individual company. Yeah, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So, I mean, like there's three independent parties outside of the business alone that are checking in some capacity on a very frequent basis Mm -hmm. that the right things are going on in that business. So if I was, um, a, you know, a regular investor coming to a company, let's say that was around for 10 years versus three years, and yep. with that in mind, how would I understand that or figure out like, how that, that company is, yes, is regulated? Yes. So this is where it's really important, but also equally boring to look at some of their <laughs> legal documents. The good news for investors or customers trying to do that is it's actually become a lot easier. So you now just need to go and find what's called a product disclosure statement. If the business does not have what's called a product disclosure statement, they have other documents called other things. It's potentially because they're not licensed, i.e. if you're going to one of these property syndicates that is not subject to one of these licenses, they might have what's called an investment offer document or a memorandum of information, (laughs) which is different from a product disclosure statement. So you want to be looking for the PDS. Um, You also want to be looking for what's called the, I'm going to use a little bit of jargon, SIPO and the OMI. So those three documents will always be together um, for any business that is subject to the license that you're looking for. Cool. Nice. Love that. 
And I mean, the nice thing is, is all of these documents have a similar layout. So, you know, if you were looking for, let's say you're currently with ASB funds and you find ASB's PDS and you kind of understand how they work and then you're comparing them to a newer fund provider, you can go and ask that fund provider or find on their website their PDS and kind of compare and just see, you know, little things like there's not many supervisor services within New Zealand. So chances are they're Mm. potentially using a similar supervisor subject to the same type of like rules and regulations. The PDS is also a great place to find the intricacies of costs and fees, tax structures. Yeah, Yeah. who's actually managing the money? You know, is it something that's being done in house by that business? Are they using a third party? Mm. Um, You know, what other arrangements do they have? Who are they paying? Who are you paying? all those key pieces of information. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I will actually say is in doing the research for this episode, I came across this really handy section on the FMA, the Financial Market Authority website. Nice. Where it's about scams. And so this kind of leads into a question we're going to talk about later. Yeah, about this. You can, if you go to www.fma.govt.nz forward slash scams, you can actually type in the company name that you're looking at uh, investing with or using and it will show whether, you know, it's a... I guess a, a regulated business or yeah. regulated business. Yeah. Oh. And so I did that with Kernel and I was like, okay, is Kernel legit? And great news it is. <laughs> yes, tick, tick, tick. <laughs> um, and so it just came up also with the company, like the full company name. So, yes. you know, another one could be that you look at the company register. There's sure. bound to be a little bit more information there as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're really concerned um, and want to find out more information about the actual business itself, I don't know if many people know this, but, um, the company's register in New Zealand is publicly available. You can go Mm. into there and you can either search for an individual name that you believe is a director or a shareholder in that company, or you can search for the company name. Now, obviously, you kind of just need to be aware that perhaps the registered legal company name is not their trading name so you could get a little bit caught up there but if you you know are really Mm. deep diving and I think this is definitely relevant for um, investment offerings that are not regulated by the FMA you would want to see well what's the company structure who are their shareholders um, you know what does it look like is the information Mm. that they're showing me on their website also corroborated by the information that is you know legally registered with NZ business and that kind of thing. Can you see if um, directors or current shareholders have previously been bankrupt on the company register? Uh, I don't believe you can see that information, but there are restrictions around whether or not you can be a director in the first place if you have been legally bankrupted. Yeah, right. Essentially, you can't. Because my head went to with things like property developers. Yep. If you're looking to buy a house and things like that, it's really also important to do your due diligence on the sure. developer to make sure that they yep. are actually going to, you know, meet the requirements and get you the house that you paid for. Yes. <laughs> and not go bankrupt in the process. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay. Love that FMA link. Oh, thanks. Fine. Yeah. I, was, I was stoked as well. Um, okay. Myth number two is that I lose all my money if X company goes under. So you've kind of touched on this this. a little bit, but I think it's also in particular for KiwiSaver quite important Mm. to go into the details of how the KiwiSaver funds or schemes are structured with the IRD and stuff. Perfect. So the KiwiSaver scheme structure and the investment provider structure, if they've got a managed investment scheme license as an investment provider, are generally speaking relatively similar in terms of how they work um, from a structural point of view. So we'll just kind of blanket them under that one discussion and then we can talk about specifics. So um, 
essentially the answer to would I lose all my money if a company went bankrupt and we'll just use Kernel for an example because I'm not concerned about that. <laughs> um, but let's say if you're an investor with us or you have your KiwiSaver fund with Kernel, if Kernel as a business were to get into financial strife, what would happen to your money? Now, thinking back to what we just talked about before, the money that you have invested with a company like Kernel because we are licensed is held in a custodian. So it's not on the Kernel balance sheet. It does doesn't have any association with Kernel as an entity itself. That's a very, very important distinction. That is protected under the legislation, and that is a required structure for KiwiSaver providers and also managed investment scheme fund providers. Um, so what would happen? You wouldn't lose all your money because when a company goes bankrupt, uh, any creditors can call on money on their balance sheet, on the company's balance sheet. But of course, your investment account or your KiwiSaver account is not on that company's balance sheet, mm-hmm. right? So that's why you're not losing any of your money. Mm-hmm. What would happen is they would have, so the company or the fund provider would have their supervisor step in and basically notify all investors or QSAver holders that this is happening. Um, and then they would do a basically a replacement of the manager. So they would go out there and look for, you know, a manager that could continue running the investment scheme or the QSAver scheme um, as it is. You know, in the case of Kernel, we're a passive pun- fund provider. We mm-hmm. offer index funds. They're not going to go out there and ask an active manager to run scheme, <laughs> yeah. they're probably going to look for someone that has experience in the passive space. And they would then, if they could find one, have a new manager step in to basically continue managing the funds in the way that they were, right? Yeah. Um, so in the best case scenario, there'd essentially be no change for the individual looking at their KiwiSaver fund or the investment funds if the supervisor couldn't find an appropriate new manager to take over, um, they would just wind up the funds. And what would essentially happen there is, let's say for sake of an investment account, if you have $20,000 invested in a fund with a certain manager, if they're winding up that fund, all they're simply doing is selling the underlying assets, which you own anyway, and distributing back your $20,000 to you. So yes, it would be a shame because you then have to go and actually invest that $20,000 somewhere else if Mm. you wanted to do that. But, you know, market movements not changing, you're still getting your $20,000. Yeah, cool. Love it. Pretty simple, right? Love that. And so just to clarify, because yeah. I might have missed this, the custodian, in the case of a KiwiSaver, is this yes. the IRD? Or how does the IRD play oh, into that? That's a really good question. Um, I don't believe that the IRD is a custodian. No, I believe, and don't quote me on this, <laughs> Stephen's going to listen to this, our CEO, um, but I believe that they are just the portal to transport money from an employer to your KiwiSaver scheme. Oh, yeah, okay. So that's the interaction that they have with um, the KiwiSaver funds. Mm-hmm. I believe then, though, as a KiwiSaver provider, we would have a custodian in a similar way to we have an investment fund custodian. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So the the government, do they guarantee any money that could be lost? I feel like I don't think they do. No, no, I don't think there's any governmental guarantee in New Zealand in general, which people tend to have a complaint with. But I know from Australia, there is a government guarantee on bank accounts up to a balance of um, $250,000 per account. Now, again, kind of what we've just been talking about, Mm -hmm. like 
I feel like where we are now, and I don't want this to sound flippant, but if you're with a major bank and the bank is going bankrupt, it's probably because we have some seriously significant economic problems and you may not be too concerned on that. Mm. What we've just talked about in terms of like KiwiSaver and investments, that's not really going to happen. Like with Mm. where the legislation is now, there doesn't necessarily need to be a government guarantee because your money is protected Mm. under the structure of having a custodian and a supervisor and a license with the FMA. That just made me also think about the argument. I remember we talked about this ages ago about the like investing in funds versus individual stocks and that if you invested, let's say, in a global 100 with 100 blue chip companies, you'd have a lot bigger problems to worry about if the value of those all went down because that's like the likes of Apple, Microsoft, all of those kinds of things. If the value of that entire fund went to zero, you're talking about the largest 100 companies going to zero. Mm -hmm. And that, I guess, a similar thing in terms of, you know, bank accounts for the bank to like, yeah, for you to not be able to get your money out of a bank account with, say, ASB or Westpac there's going to be some pretty serious problems going on. Yeah, exactly. And that is just the perfect segue into myth number three, which is when the markets go down, I I've lost this. my money, a.k.a. the company I've invested in, uh, it in has taken it. So you might be kind of laughing hearing I this. But you, I know, it's a legit question. I've been yeah. asked this personally before. Yeah, so many people actually have this concern. I used to do a lot of customer service exactly. in our early days. And yeah. I have definitely been asked this question or just, you know. Um, yeah. So what is the best way to tackle this? When the market goes down, you've only lost money if you sell. That's the first thing to address, right? And that's really important to note in KiwiSaver because for most people, they can't access KiwiSaver for a number of years. Mm. So you've only lost that money in real terms if you crystallize that loss. And how you would do that is either panic at a market downturn and switch your KiwiSaver fund to another type of fund or sell out and hold it in cash in the likes of, say, just a regular investment fund. If otherwise you have invested $20,000 and the markets have gone down and the value of that fund is now $10,000, the company that you've invested that money with that manages the funds hasn't taken it. They have no recourse to that money because as we've Mm -hmm. just said, that money is held by a custodian. That custodian is a separate legal entity. There's no ability for anyone within the business that is registered and licensed to even access that money. So actually thinking through the practicality of this, which I don't think I ever had to spell out to anyone, but thinking <laughs> through the practicality of this, like no one in our team would even be able to access that money because we don't even have Hold the it. ability mm. to see those bank accounts or like transact on those bank accounts. Mm. So that's just not going to happen. Um I guess the other important difference is if you've invested with a company and you're thinking about this at a stock level, i.e. if you are investing through a platform and you've chosen one company specifically Mm -hmm. and the value of that company has gone down, again, they haven't taken that money. It's just the market cap and the valuation of that business at that point in time has reduced. So. This is why, you know, we are big advocates of spreading a risk across lots of different companies and being well diversified. Um, But yes, market going down and you temporarily losing money in the share market does not equate with the business that you are investing through stealing that money. Yeah. 
Love it. Great summary. Yeah. Also, actually, I would just say, like, let's just hypothetically say we had some kind of like tech wizard that was actually (laughs) able to do that and get the money out of our custodian account. There are checks and balances on those funds and those investments every single day through multiple different parties in two separate businesses that it would be very, very, very hard for it to go unnoticed. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. Very hard. Yeah. It would like break all our systems. So I think everyone would know. Yeah. Yeah. You'd log in and see it right there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm like thinking about the ops team and like everyone at Adventus who's our custodian and also our like fund provider, the fund administrator. Every, everyone would be aware that there is some money that's unaccounted for basically Mm. instantaneously. So alarm bells. Yeah. Alarm bells. Definitely. Cool. Okay. Little curveball question that isn't on here. Mm. What about data security? So oh, in the age of, you know, <laughs> tech life, <laughs> fintech, the tech part, um, mm-hmm. as we kind of bring that in yep. more and, you know, seeing yep. the likes of Hatch and ShareZ and all yep. of these other tech companies, how do I know that I my data and cookies mm-hmm. and things like that is mm-hmm. trusted mm-hmm. W- with a company, let's say like Kernel or Great question. Great question. So I think this comes back to two layers. First is you need to understand how that company keeps your data secure and this information should be available in documents like their terms of use or their privacy policy. If you can't find it there, you can absolutely go and ask their customer service team to figure out, you know, what Mm. kind of tech security systems they have in place for that. Mm. The second layer is let's just go to the worst case scenario because that's what everyone does. So in the worst case scenario, let's say someone found or got access to your account details to be able to log in online what is the worst thing that that person could do if they had that information? Now, this varies Mm -hmm. based on what type of financial service you're looking at, right? So if you think of a bank account and someone got access to your internet banking, they potentially could go forward and transfer money to an external account that they own. But most banks have in place things that you as a customer can – put secure, I guess, methods on as a default for that. So things like, you know, most people have a first time transaction limit. I know I do, Mm. i.e. first time I make a transaction to a third party that I haven't made a transaction to before, there's a maximum amount that I'm able to do. Also, first time I have to go through a 2FA process if I've never transferred there before. Mm -hmm. Um, Other things like daily payment limits, i.e. it just caps out at a certain amount in that day. You Mm. know, you typically have access to all of those types of security methods for a bank because the risk of damage is a lot higher than some other services. So then let's think about it down the other end of you have an investment account. Well, you have a KiwiSaver account. Someone comes into your KiwiSaver account, they can look at it. They can't sell it. They can't sell it. They can't cash it out. They can't withdraw it. They could send it to another KiwiSaver that would have to be in your name and go through the IRD. So, (laughs) I mean, they're not getting far (laughs) with that fraud. (laughs) Um, If you come back to the middle and you are looking at, say, a trading platform or an investment provider like Kernel with funds, Let's say they managed to get through things like 2FA security in the first instance into that account, then what they could do. So in a kernel account, they could sell your fund on market. So they could sell your, you know, $20,000 in your global 100 and it would go into cash. But then from that point, they'd need to try and withdraw it. And to withdraw it Mm -hmm. under our processes and many other businesses processes, we're only able to send money to an account in the name of the account holder, i.e., 
if Christine makes a withdrawal from her Colonel account, it has to go to a bank account in the name of Christine Jensen. Yep. And that's part of the onboarding as well. You have to Correct. have a nominated bank account. That's that has verified. been verified yeah. in your name and you have to have made a deposit from it. And there's a number of checks and processes. If, let's say, someone managed to log in your account, get to the point of selling it without anyone noticing, particularly you, and then they tried to withdraw it to a third party bank account, A, it's going to be automatically blocked by the system. And then B, there are going to be human and manual processes to intervene in that, which would result in you being notified mm. that someone's trying to make a withdrawal to an account you're unaware of. Yeah. yeah. And yes, it would be annoying that they've found your password and managed to crack your 2FA. Mm. It would also be annoying that they'd sold out your $20,000 and you then had to reinvest it. However, the loss to you is relatively nil. Mm other than just your annoyance level and then probably general meltdown that, like, <laughs> someone's got your data. <laughs> yeah, that your same password on every platform yeah, has been broken. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, does that answer the question? Yes, yeah. Cool. I was just thinking also about inflows of money as well and that when you typically invest a, or deposit even a large sum of money, that there's a check and a balance there as Correct. well to understand, like an AML yep. process that yep. is around – where did that money come from? How did Correct. you make that? All that kind of thing. So are you actually the person that's like the legal account holder? Are things all like here? Yeah. You know, does it make sense to a human being? Yeah. So if, it, if they don't, if we don't catch it on the way out or if whoever doesn't catch it on the way out, chances are they catch it on the way in for someone mm-hmm. else. And yeah. if that sum matches the exact amount, yeah. let's just hope that it exactly. know, is caught. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Anything to add, else to add about security? Um, look, I just think that... It's really it's really important to get really clear on what security you're talking about because mm-hmm. no one other than a bank account holder can promise you that your investments are entirely safe from declining in value because that, you know, as we said at the start, comes from market movements and what type of risk you've taken. Mm-hmm. And so that's really important for you to understand as a first instance. But then the second step is really, okay, now that I've decided to invest my money in this way with this provider, I just really need to understand how that provider works, what checks and balances they have in place, who is looking at them to make sure that they're doing the right thing. Um, and if they are not forthcoming with that information, if they are vague on that information, if it's not easily found on their website, those for me would all be red flags. Because everyone, exactly, everyone that is highly regulated by the FMA has standard processes and requirements to make that information really easily accessible and be very transparent about it. Mm. And if you feel like the business is not being transparent about it, then I would use that as a flag to prompt asking more questions. Definitely. And if it's too good to be true, it probably is. It is. It is. It is. There's no free money. There's no like easy lunches. Cool. Well, we hope you enjoyed our little chat about um, safety and got some useful tips out of it. Um, If you have any questions, qualms, or just generally want to have a chat, feel free to um, jump on Instagram, follow us at It's No Secret NZ, or head to our website, www.itsnosecret.co.nz. Kat's cracking up because I never get that right. (laughs) After two years, she's almost nailed it. (laughs) But otherwise, we will see you next Tuesday. See you soon. Bye. Bye.